The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter chimney sweeps. I'm Scott Pearson, and this is my daughter, Narice. Chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim cherie. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode 5, Forbidden Geek, and we'll be talking with our very special first guest ever, Una McCormack. This is part one of our chat with Una, and we'll be talking about Star Trek, Doctor Who, Primeval, UFO, Firefly, and writing science fiction. Let's do a quick introduction before we start the interview. Una McCormack is a writer in Cambridge, England. She's written several Star Trek novels published by Simon & Schuster. She has also done two Doctor Who novels, featuring the 11th Doctor, as portrayed by Matt Smith. Una has remained active in fan fiction since going pro and has written stories set in Middle-earth and other genre universes. She also teaches creative writing at Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge. So now, let's bring her on. Hello, Una, and welcome to Generations Geek. Hello, Scott. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, it's uh, lovely to have you here. You're our first guest. It's very exciting for us. Good. And we're going to talk about all sorts of geeky things. I kind of wanted to start with Star Trek, because that is how I met you. At Shoreleaf. I recall, though, that as we sat in the bar after the signing, I don't think we talked about Star Trek at all. I think we talked about Middle Earth the entire time. We talked completely about Middle Earth. I remember (laughs) having to defend Tom Bombadil uh, from uh, people who were badly wrong about him. So... uh, (laughs) I was happy to do so. (laughs) But it is Star Trek that brought us together, yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. I'm curious, when did you first encounter Star Trek? Well, I have quite a funny relationship to Star Trek because uh, it wasn't really shown in the UK when I was growing up. So uh, all, all the standard stories that people say about, you know, watching it as a kid and loving it from when they were six or seven, uh, you couldn't really do that in the UK. It didn't get shown until um, it was shown back in the 60s, which is just before my time. Uh, and then it didn't get shown again until the mid, late 80s. So really, my introduction was through Next Generation, which turned up in the UK in about uh, 1988. We started getting um, videotapes. Uh, sent in. So we, I was able to go to uh, the video shop and uh, rent out uh, every month. I could get one tape with two episodes on. So <laughs> I, I'd bunk off from school on a Friday, well, sixth form college on a Friday afternoon, walk home, stop at the video shop. Oh, is there a new tape? And then go home. And then I would have that for about a week. And I'd be able to watch these two episodes again and again. Of course, it was first first season next gen so they were a bit hit and miss but yeah. I still uh, I still really loved it so um and then after that I got involved with um fandom uh and we used to get tapes sent in from the United States so a friend of mine would get kind of little a little care package of um tapes and you know nylon stockings and <laughs> kind of things that Americans <laughs> have that we don't have so um I would get these, these, and they were terrible because, uh, uh, you know, you had to convert from American videotape, yeah. British videotape. So we were watching through mud to be able to see things like yesterday's Enterprise. But I still, I completely loved it. So I'm really a, a next-gen person more than an original Trek. Uh, I don't think I've seen all of original Trek. There's an admission. I've seen quite <laughs> a lot, but not all. That's my, um, so like that party game, isn't it? Where, you know, professors say, oh, well, I've never read Hamlet. Well, I've never seen all of original <laughs> Trek. So uh, that's, my, that's my secret Trek. Um, uh, dirty secret, I think. Yes. But next, I absolutely loved, and that was really what got me. And a great age to come to it as well, I think. It, you know, you get it at 16, 17, you think, wow, space is brilliant. So that was my encounter. But you're, you were an original Trek guy, weren't you, I think? Yes, I was not quite old enough to watch it in its original run, but as soon as it was uh, coming into syndication in the early 70s, that's when I started watching it when I was like in the second grade or so. Yeah. And so I am one of those my entire life. Yes. I've been totally in love with Star Trek. And here in Britain, that that's the equivalent is going to be Blake Seven or Doctor Who for some right. of my Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Blake Seven yet, Narice? Or, um... 
Um, I don't even know if you've heard of Blake Seven. Blake Seven is maybe somewhere. It's another uh, British TV show that I would. I haven't seen it either. It's one of those ones that I've been aware of almost my entire life because reading uh, science fiction magazines and stuff, I've uh, been familiar sort of generally with what Blake Seven was, but uh, yeah. I've never seen it. And there's rumors now of, of a somewhere. reboot. But... There is going to be a reboot. So you've, you've heard of it somewhere, have you? Or I think it's... so. <laughs> I don't know like where I could have um Oh, you might have heard, just heard it, me but, mention yeah, it. Yeah, I might have heard yeah. you. It's kind of a classic British thing, but really... I mean, if you're looking for shaky sets and wooden acting, you're, you're really going to find it in Blake 7. But I don't know. You, you don't discriminate when you're 7 or 8. You just go, wow, spaceship. And that's enough to kind of yes. set your imagination. Your own imagination fills in the uh, gaps and doesn't, doesn't notice the dodginess, I think. Well, that's certainly so, what helped Doctor Who, too, in those uh, yeah. most of the years. I mean, it's so different now that they've got a huge budget with the, uh, the new I series. Almost doesn't feel right in a way, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Take it away. That's too pretty. I want something that looks rubbish. <laughs> no, it's great to see it looks so beautiful. I've been re-watching Next Generation on HD. They're showing it in HD in the UK at the moment. And um, we've just got to season two. And it looks great. I don't know if they've remastered them or touched them up or something. But all right, I feel a bit better now. <laughs> yeah, it looks, um, it looks really nice. We saw the... They, yeah, we saw a couple episodes in the theater. The, yeah. Yeah. Nice. And, yeah. <laughs> and they looked fabulous on the big screen. It was amazing how uh, how good the, the yeah, image was. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I've, I haven't upgraded to Blu-ray yet. We're still on DVD. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's really tempting me is Star Trek coming out on, on Blu-ray. Yeah, I was very tempted. I've heard some mixed reports about the, the is it season two that that it's not such as it's not so lovingly done. But um, so I, mm. but I was quite tempted. Um, but then it turned up on HD, and I thought, well, this is my chance to see it. You know, looking as good as it probably can get. So yeah. uh, that every weekday night, I'm sitting down, and then I'm tweeting rubbish about it. So um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's great. It's it's a really it's really good to go back to it. I think yeah yeah we should talk a little bit about your Star Trek projects past and present and whatever future ones you are at liberty to discuss. Indeed. Yes. So very, uh, very cloak and dagger, isn't it? We've got to be very careful what we say. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Keep it all under wraps. Um, Well, I, uh, I was a fan fiction writer, really. Uh, I was, I was writing, originally I was writing Blake seven fan fiction. I started writing that in my um, early twenties uh, and that was back in the days of fanzines. So it was all, you know, printed and photocopied and sent out in the mail. Um, and then when I got into Deep Space Nine, uh, which was quite late, it was it was well into the run of the final season. And a friend of mine who's a big science fiction fan, and for years he'd been saying, you must watch Deep Space Nine. You must. You'll absolutely love it. I was going, no, no, I'm a Babylon 5 fan. You can only be one and not the other. No, I reject Star Trek and all its works. I absolutely <laughs> wouldn't watch it. And he, he, he gave me Way of the Warrior and said, just, you know, just a little, little bit, try it. And I thought, well, I like you and, you know, you're a friend and it's only going to be 80 minutes. I can invest 80 minutes in our friendship. <laughs> Started watching Way of the Warrior and, of course, brilliant Gateway episode because Garrick is in it and Garrick is being absolutely hilarious. Just the the bit where he gets punched and beaten up by the Klingons and, you know, and Bashir's going oh, they really, they really laid you out. And he's going, yeah, but, you know, I got off some cutting remarks. So okay. <laughs> I think they had the worst of it. And I'm kind of like, you imagine little hearts in front of my eyes. I'm kind of going, oh, this is, <laughs> who is this guy? Is he in it every week? I've got to watch it. And, and that was it. I was completely addicted. So really from that first viewing, Garrick just grabbed you. Leapt out. Absolutely. I thought, I've got to, I've got to see this guy. So I watched straight through and I, I kind of caught up with transmission. So I, I kind of rushed through seasons four, five, six. And then I ended up buying the tapes ahead of my friend. So he was borrowing my tapes by the end. And then eventually I, I, I caught up. So it really was, so it really hit and um, just devoured it. And, and even though Garrick was sort of the character that, you know, I, I immediately got addicted to, um, 
everything else is so exciting, isn't it? The storyline just pushes along and um, it you just want to watch it, don't you? I've got to see the next one. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? I've got to find out what's going on. So, um, so that was it. And then, of course, inevitably, uh, started writing fan fiction. Yeah. Uh, by this time, the internet had happened, so I was able to... <laughs> oh, yeah, that happened in between Blake 7 fan fiction writing, DS9 fan fiction. <laughs> So I, uh, I've, I shall put these stories on this new internet thing, I thought, and um, they, they were nicely received. I made some friends. We had some nice exchanges. And then I got this email out of the blue from um, a person whose name I'd seen around who was a, a fine gentleman called Marco Palmieri. <laughs> and I saw this uh, email and I thought, oh, dear, am I in trouble? <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> what have I done? Did I say something wrong on the internet? And uh, no, it was a, it was an offer to uh, it was an invitation to pitch uh, a couple of stories, and and that's how it all happened. I was doing something completely different, and then the next thing I knew, I was writing a Star Trek book. Yeah, so that's. A... I don't know if I uh, knew that before that that Marco oh, really? just contacted you because of the fan fiction. Yeah, he someone had read it and recommended me, and I th I think he was scouting for new writers at the time, and uh, and my name came up. So oh, that's he, he great. Really thought, I know it's it's really lucky. Our friends in Britain sort of say, uh, "How did you get the gig? I've been trying to get one for years and years." And oh well, they just came to me. <laughs> really, really annoyed. So it just happened. And then when I say I've not even seen all of original Trek, you can see the the hate in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find the 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 fan fiction thing fascinating because I don't quite understand why, but I never wrote fan fiction. And I'm exactly the kind of person you would expect to write fan fiction. Mm. But for some reason, uh, from the moment I discovered my love for writing, mm. I wanted to get uh, paid for it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's <good laughs> <And>, for you. <laughs> you know, not, per not necessarily in a just like a, a greedy way, but it just didn't even occur to me to... You know, and and I knew about fan fiction from uh, reading uh, fan magazines and stuff. I was aware that people did this, but you know, I was I grew up in a very small town in the Midwest of the United States. I didn't have a lot of friends who were fans. I didn't have a lot of contact with other fans, and so as far as circulating my fan fiction, there really wouldn't have been much to do. Anyway, perhaps that was part of it, but right from yeah. the beginning, I just started submitting stories directly to magazines. You know, so yeah. my my first science fiction short stories, I sent to Isaac Asimov's wow, and well, stuff like that. And yeah. of course, now I look back and I just think, well, that's so hilarious because these <laughs> stories were so bad. They were my first wow. stories. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it's and I just went straight to submitting to uh, professional magazines, and uh, I feel sorry for those poor editors who were reading. <laughs> did the they give you nice? Did they give you nice rejections? Did they? Uh... Oh no, it was just form rejections. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure they. I'm sure they didn't read past the first couple of sentences because they could yeah. tell. Well, this is just some kid who doesn't know what he's doing yet. So from there, then the first for me, the break in to Star Trek was the Strange New Worlds contest. Yes, which, of course, a Brit, I couldn't enter. You, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, I wrote, uh, I started submitting to that series, uh, starting with Volume 2, and then it took me uh, several tries before I broke in. It wasn't until uh, number seven that I got in. Yeah. But then, you know, then eventually I went to shore leave, met Marco. Yeah. And then he asked me to pitch. Yes, which so is the was... magic moment, yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. Well, my um, one of my older siblings, who uh, was 10 years older than me, was involved in fandom, Blake 7 fandom, and would bring home fanzines. So um, at the grand old age of uh, 18, uh, went off to a convention, and I was eight, and brought Blake 7 fan fiction zines home. So I think that's why I thought, well, I'll just write the stories and stick them out there. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just really excited when I, uh, you know, got a story in my first zine. Never crossed my mind to uh, ask for money. <laughs> that came later. <laughs> I didn't see my first fanzine in person until I went to a big Star Trek convention uh, uh, uh. because yep. they just didn't make it out yep. into the country where I was. Yep. Um, and since I didn't write fan fiction, I didn't write any Star Trek 
until well actually I I did write a Star Trek novel way back in like 1987. Yeah. Because I had naively convinced myself that if I wrote the novel I'd somehow be able to get it to the people. Yep. But of course I had no way to get it to them. I didn't have an agent. I, you know. Yeah. Uh but then after that I didn't Star write Star Trek people New York stamp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so then I didn't uh, try again until Strange New Worlds came along, and then that's when I started writing Star Trek stories. So I didn't even have, I, d- I hadn't even written Star Trek just for my own amusement, really. Yeah. It was always thinking for the professional publication. Yeah. Were you reading the novels as a teenager? and a... Oh, yes. As soon as yeah. the novels uh, started, I started buying them and reading them. And, well, no, I shouldn't say as soon as they started, because they started before I even was uh, watching Star Trek. But as soon as I fell in love with Star Trek, I started buying all the books I could find. And so I lived through those dark years. There were years where the books, a book here and there was all there was, because often uh, where I was growing up, it wouldn't even be in syndication before all the new series started. Yeah. So getting a new book here and there was was the only real connection to it. E, we had a terrible time growing up, didn't we? It was awful. <laughs> and I was the same as you. I was in quite a small town, a kind of industrial town. Um, but I was at a girls' convent school. So imagine how many geeks there were there. It was like me. That was it. It was kind of a secret shame. Does anyone else like science fiction? No, absolutely nobody. And then um, I went to a mixed sixth form college from about 17 or 18. And a couple of the guys there were into uh, Doctor Who and stuff like that. So it was, oh, at last, other people. So it it could have been worse. You could have been at a girls' convent school. (laughs) Really was nobody else. So um, just me, I think, yeah. So, um, but yeah, difficult difficult to find stuff on television, difficult to get books. And, um, yeah, and not easy to get fanzines either. So um, it was good when stuff came along, but uh, it's like there's so much stuff now you can't keep up in a way. Too much television, too many films, so many books. It's um, You have to pick and choose what you're interested in, I think. Um, Yeah, and and then with the fan fiction, like mm. you mentioned earlier, now with the internet. Yeah. The the sheer volume of fan fiction that's available, easily available, is uh, really overwhelming. And I don't, uh, generally, I don't look at it, Mm. I mean, especially back when I was a little bit more actively involved with uh, Marco and and, uh, Pocket Books, you didn't want to look at it because of the... No, stay away. I mean, I don't don't read anymore. It's just too many complications, yeah. Um, you could run into all sorts of difficulties. So sadly, I don't. I don't read anymore, which is a shame. Yes, um, for for the listeners who may not uh, get what we're referring to, when you're writing for a uh, franchise like Star Trek, you don't want to read someone's fan story because if you end up creating an element that was similar mm. in in your novel or short story, then you might have someone come out and say, "Oh, well, you stole that from me." And yeah. so the professional writers of Star Trek and a lot of other stuff, you, you, you try to stay away from, from fan writing completely so that you can just say, nope, never read it. Just yep. a coincidence. Yep. There's only seven plots out there, and I used one of them. <laughs> so did you, <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's... it's a shame. I sort of miss it, but uh, it you've just got to be sensible, really, I think. you. Um, yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, there's, there's great writers out there that are working in uh, – fan fiction so there's stuff that's just as good or better to read than stuff mm. that's being published but uh, yeah. but you have to avoid it that's just the way it is yeah or not write in the so i mean i i read and write a lot of um tolkien fan fiction and i doubt the tolkien estate are ever going to commission me to do that <laughs> novel about numenor that i would like to do but uh, so i'm pretty safe there i think but <laughs> yes yes but that's where i'm getting my hits these days yeah narice Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've been sitting there quietly enjoying listening to us uh, natter on. Is there about anything the that, old days? Yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to uh, ask Una about Star Trek? Um, I don't know. I and, mean, 
I'm sorry. I realize I've kind of put you on the spot there because you actually haven't read uh, Star Trek fiction yet. You've been not more... not really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've read I've read like the anthologies that you've been in a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Strange New World. But I've read, you know? I read your Doctor Who books. Hooray! Oh. Yes, we like to see those. Did you enjoy? <laughs> them? Were they okay? Were they they were right? really good. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed them. Thank you. And so the way through the woods, we got um, shortly before I had to go on a camping trip with oh, my school. Brilliant. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't, and I couldn't wait to read it. So I took it with, and then I, but I was so nervous that it would get ruined or get water on it. So I packed it like in a plastic bag and like, like wrapped like bandanas and stuff around it. So the cover plastic. wouldn't get um, like yeah. bent up. And then anybody who touched it got like attacked. Oh, <laughs> I need you defending all my books. <laughs> and a good place to be reading it. If yeah, you're it was the best too. Were you in the woods as well? Or, uh, oh, yeah. In... Yeah, yeah, fantastic. No we'd camp... foxes? <laughs> um, we'd camp like in the middle of, I mean, we'd, we'd be in a campground, but it'd be just like woods around us. So yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was the perfect place to read it. Oh, absolutely brilliant. So all we need to do is uh, get you reading King's Dragon in a, medieval meatball <laughs> 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 i'm really glad you enjoyed it that's a really great place to uh, take it to and it came back intact did it you didn't mm -hmm. drop it nobody nope. touched it or... it's a little bent up but not yeah. any more than the one that's never really left the house no yeah, so... it's done okay. it looks red it looks red thing. exactly that's all yeah that's well, how it should be let's let's stay on doctor who here now but we haven't seen the christmas special yet because he's right. making me wait to watch it with him is he? Yeah. I'll watch it anyway and pretend you have <laughs> That's what I do with my other half. <laughs> You'll well, enjoy wonder... it. It's good. Is it snowing there? Have you had snow? Um, or is... We've had like a dusting in the last couple of days, but not really yeah. very much. And it's about to get really, really cold, so it probably won't get very much. Oh, yeah, we don't... You need to wrap up and make it nice and warm and turn the lights down. It's really Christmassy, so make it feel Christmassy and, and kind of, um, you know, get the quilt out and get under it. And um, it's it's a nice episode. My favourite of the Christmas episodes, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, we should definitely try to see it this weekend. But... We have to watch The Incredible Hulk, too. And yes, yep. we have to watch The Incredible Hulk. I will Hulk. not wait. We have to watch that this weekend. We're, we've, we've, been, we've been going back and watching all the Marvel movies, and The Incredible Hulk uh, is the last one we have to watch before The Avengers. Right, okay. So, you <laughs> so I'm excited. Done. You've got to do that. That's a good night's lineup, Incredible Hulk and uh, Doctor Who and the Snowmen or whatever it's called. That's good. Yeah, it's a good Saturday night. <laughs> and uh, how did you find yourself uh, writing for Doctor Who? What was your break in there? Um, well, I wouldn't have done it without the Star Trek books. So, mm -hmm. cause, yeah, because it's so competitive and they're doing so few books now. Um, I was uh, sort of tangentially involved with um, Doctor Who fandom oh, years ago, back in kind of like the early 90s. So uh, I met a couple of people like um, Gary Russell, who became script editor mm -hmm. uh, right back then. Uh, and wrote a little bit for Doctor Who magazine, not very much, uh, wrote a little bit of fiction, actually. That was my first professional sale was uh, Doctor Who short story back in, oh, 92 or something like that. Ah. Um, but then I kind of drifted off and didn't stay involved and, oh, I don't know, got into um, got into Deep Space Nine or something. Um, and then when I... Uh, there was this kind of gap after Marco left Pocket where... Um, you weren't really sure what was going on and um, I, I wasn't kind of getting commissions or anything. So I, I thought, you know, I'd really like to do a Doctor Who book now that it's back. Um, and that's like saying, you know, I'd really like to be one of those people that goes on an Apollo mission. You know, <laughs> <laughs> out of the millions of people who live yes. and have ever lived, it's kind of, you know, hardly anyone gets to do it. Um, and they were quite high profile by this time, of course, because, you know, it, it had come back. It was it was hugely successful. Um, so basically, I wrote a letter to um, the guy who is the creative consultant on the range, a guy called Justin Richards. And this was a letter kind of addressed, Justin Richards, Doctor Who, London. Sort of <laughs> I mean, it was an actual letter because I, I couldn't find his email address. And I just said, dear, dear Justin, I'm, my name's Una McCormack. I've done a bunch of Star Trek books. Uh, I like Doctor Who. Here's my single credits. And um, could I do one, please? Uh, and then I got an email from Justin saying, um, 
yeah, all right, send us a pitch. Let's see what you've got. Um, and um, I sent a pitch. And I, I think by this time, uh, Gary, who I'd, I'd known, was now um, working uh, on the show. So I think my name came up and it was a name that people recognised. So you know, no harm in getting a pitch. Yeah. And it was it was pretty smooth sailing, actually. That That was it. I sort of asked and they said yes. So <laughs> it really was that. That's straightforward. So, um, and then they liked King's Dragon and um, came back for the for the next one. So just said, you know, we've got we've got a slot for you. What would you like to do? Uh, we'd like something spooky and contemporary. Uh, and I said, okay, well, a, a, a magic wood on the edge of a motorway sounds exactly like the kind of thing I'd like to do. And they said, great, and we went with that. So I really, I really did just ask, and they said yes. I don't, I don't know how I get away with these things. <laughs> really does show that i think if you've got an ambition like that just to just to give it a go because somebody they may say no but then on the other hand they may they may just say yes and it helped that i had the trek books um because i think they want to know that you can deliver a manuscript and that you can you can deliver it very very quickly yes Um, well and it also shows that you know how to work within a franchise too yeah that's the other thing and um i think particularly when when a show is in production so it's a it's not so bad with with trek at the moment particularly some but something like doctor who where it has to be um it has to go past the studio and they have to make sure they're happy with it but they've got so much else on their mind they're worried about production schedules and you know whether matt smith has a cold or whatever <laughs> um, so much on their mind and the books are really you know the, the thing that you go i'll worry about that tomorrow so you can end up with some quite tight deadlines and i think yeah. being able to um just to just to get the book in on the day i i, I think it's good that you, they want to know that they can rely on that and i'm quite good at doing that i mean it can mean <laughs> few hairy weeks here and there but uh, I, I usually hit deadlines I think so um, yeah. but uh, how great to have got to do these just at the height of it being really really popular yes and with a great doctor I love writing uh, he's got a great voice Matt Smith and um, it's it's just great to write him and Amy just bounce off each other and you put Rory in and poor Rory's really henpecked <laughs> and so yes you just have a great deal of fun with them and dialogue and character is what I like doing and when when you're given a voice it's just fun to play with so yeah I just asked and they said yes <laughs> so, I need to I need to start asking more people <laughs> is what I really I, I, th- this is one of the things that's difficult for me as a writer is I often just don't go out and say hey yeah, and uh, uh, you know, I know so many people, so many writers, and you're not the first one from whom I've heard a story like this, where yeah. they're just in the right place at the right time, and you have the uh, the courage to just put the question out there. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and I asked it another works. franchise this week, and they're not commissioning, so they said no. So, you know, you, you ask sometimes and people say no, they'll put you on yeah. their list. And I think it's not feeling that when somebody says no, it's not, they're not saying, no, I hate you. They're saying, <laughs> exactly. no, we're not doing any books at the moment. I just remembered one time when I did approach someone was for a uh, collectible card game called Dino Hunt. Oh, right. <laughs> and it's uh, the... The setup for the game is that each uh, player is a scientist who, who's traveling back in time to hunt dinosaurs, not hunt them fatally, but to capture them right. so that they can be studied. Yep. But then, you know, things go wrong and there are other, you know, the people that you're competing with who are trying to get the dinosaurs for themselves. And... I love the game, and I love dinosaurs. It's so much fun. We used to play it when I was little. That sounds really good, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very accessible to a wide age group. Yeah. I thought this is the perfect framework for writing a dinosaur science fiction story. Yeah. And there's a lot of games that have been turned into books. So I got in touch with Steve Jackson Games and said, hey... And I was able to say, you know, I've written Star Trek books and all that sort of thing. And so I, I got a very nice response, uh, but they said, we're just not, you know, we haven't had any idea to do tie-in fiction for this, but thanks for your interest. And and if we ever do, we'll get in touch. But, you know, that I, that was just a polite response. I, I thought it was pretty plain that they would never really be doing the, the tie-in fiction. But yeah, it still felt good to just make the effort. 
Exactly. Yeah. And who knows? They might have gone, hey, we hadn't thought of a book. Let's uh, let's give it a go. Yeah. Um, so but they so didn't. you just don't know. They didn't know. But they it didn't. sounds like Primeval. Have you ever seen a British show called Primeval? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Indeed we have. We love Primeval. <laughs> we are uh, we're, we're big fans, especially of the first few seasons. I don't think it's quite held up uh, <laughs> into the new one for me. I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know. I think they were really when they had that big production gap in yeah. the with the first cast, yeah. and even after they came back from that, I felt like they didn't quite have the same energy. It wasn't quite there. It yes. was still good, but it wasn't quite the same. Yeah. And, and now in the attempted uh, uh, reboot in in the new world. Yeah. I, I think it's been it. It hasn't quite the the magic isn't quite there. Well, yeah. and the problem for me more with the um, Canadian version is that um, it'd be a lot more interesting if they had more cameos from the old cast. Right. But they only had like I think um, Andrew Lee Potts was on like once or twice, and then just not since. And I think I mean I know they're trying to get a new audience, and I get that. Yeah. I just. Um, it's not as exciting. Yeah, and you miss the old show and you feel like you're being teased with just seeing them. And maybe if it was a complete break, you'd go, okay, well, different show, but um, just to get little bits of them. I only watched the first episode, I have to say. So uh, I've not seen a lot of Primeval. But it struck me as, you know, just good action adventure. That you know, It was kind of pretty uncomplicated, but really good fun. <laughs> <laughs> also, dinosaurs. You can't go wrong. It's like dragons, isn't it? You're not going to go wrong with a dinosaur. <laughs> that's the thing. It's hard for me not to watch a show that's got dinosaurs in it. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> you know. Dinosaurs. I just love that first, like, with Nick Cutter and everyone. I just love that first part of it so much. It's like one of those things yeah. where um, you have a day and you're like, I don't have anything to do. Or, like, you're sick or something. It's one of those, like, DVDs that you pull off the shelf and just watch all oh, day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know exactly that feeling. The franchise that I love, that I would love to write for, I was just telling uh, Narice this the other day, UFO. Oh, the Jerry Anderson one? Yes. Wow, good choice. Yeah, that is a good one. That yeah. would be, I, I just dream of yeah. writing that. And in fact, last week was it last shore leave or the or, shore leave before you're not talking about the same thing as well, <laughs> i did a panel where it was a, a the the panel was what would you reboot and how yeah. would you reboot it yeah and so there were five or six of us on the panel and i uh, picked ufo and came up with this really elaborate way how i would reboot it it was so much fun to write that yeah there was a movie version in production. Oh, I didn't know that. It started about two or three years ago, maybe. It, apparently, it's fallen apart. I haven't been able to find a definitive answer about where this movie is, but its yeah. its website is still up. Little rumors pop up about it now and then. Casting rumors would float around, and some of them were actually quite good. So that it's like, wow, that would be an interesting take on that character to have that person. Yeah. But it really seems to have just stalled. And of course, now with the unfortunate passing away of Jerry Anderson, yeah. I don't know. I mean, not that he was that involved uh, anyway because of his illness, but um, I just don't know where it's going to go. Now, that's a good one to choose as a reboot, I think, or um, to want to write. If I was going to write anything of choice, um, apart from my novel about Numenor, um, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would want to have written Firefly or, oh, yeah. Ro or Rome. I would love to have done a novel based on Rome. And not, not Roman history, yeah. Rome, the TV series. Mm -hmm. And um, the other one I really wanted to do was a TV show. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, it was a post-apocalyptic thing called Jericho. And it got uh, about a season and six episodes. Yeah. I, I yeah. actually, that, that's one I have to admit that I never watched. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure that I would find it enjoyable, but it, I've just uh, never gotten to it, so... 
well worth a look. It's a bit it's a bit of a strange um, opener because the the world ends in the first episode pretty much. Um, all all these cities get some um, planes landed on them, so the infrastructure's all knocked out. And the first two episodes, it doesn't really hit the characters home. Um, so they're, they're kind of really embroiled in their day-to-day -day problems. So, you know, somebody's having an affair with somebody else's wife or somebody's not happy in their job or they've got tensions with their father. So you spend the first two or three episodes with them still really quite worried about this. And you, the viewer, are kind of going, guys, the world's just ended. You know, you've got to, you've got other things to worry about now. And then it becomes a really interesting study of, of how things break down and who you can trust and they end up going to war with the next small town i think they're somewhere in kansas um and you know they've got petrol and they've got water uh, it was a really interesting show and of course what always happens to the really interesting shows is they get cancelled so yeah you know, <laughs> um so uh, so i would have loved to have to have had a go at that i think um uh, a novel would have been a really good way of wrapping up the story uh, in the way that um, Serenity wraps up um, Firefly. But uh, yeah, I love Firefly. Are you Firefly fans over there? Or? We are raving Firefly, Firefly fans. It's really hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, strangely, we actually haven't watched Serenity yet. Because ah. he wants me to watch it with him. You see, there's, there's uh, a recurring oh. pattern. I have to make up my my like my geekiness because i always have i feel awkward <laughs> People, like you haven't seen serenity what's wrong with you oh well especially yeah. my, my friends my friends are like you've seen the entirety of firefly but not serenity i'm like yeah what i think you're very patient narisa <laughs> you can't put this off any longer this is insane <laughs> <laughs> has to be watched <laughs> i'll come back next week That's... and test you on it <laughs> so narisa did you have any uh, other Doctor Who-ish questions? We we raved about the books for a bit. We admitted that we haven't watched the Christmas oh. special yet. <clears throat> have you seen all of Matt Smith's episodes? Oh yes, yeah. Okay, I'm do you remember the the like two parter um, called like the Flesh in something else? Yeah, the like... oh gosh, I now can't remember their names. Uh, I look like a really bad fan. I've got a really bad name for titles. Yes, I remember those. The um, Yeah, I remember the episodes, but I can't remember what they're called. Yeah. Okay, I barely got through those episodes. Like, I hate them so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it seems like everyone either loves them or they are like, these are really bad. I don't like these. And so um, what do you think about them? Why don't you like them? It might have worked if it had been just one episode, but it was yeah. so, like, confusing. And then there's, like, the, like, ten-minute, like, long scene of them all just, like, running around and you can't tell who is who. And I think yeah. that was supposed to be part of the, like, you're supposed to be, like, creeped out by it. And at yeah. the end you were with the doctor and his copy. Yeah. But it was still, like, I don't know. It just, it didn't work for me yeah. at all. Yeah, I yeah. agree. For, for me, it was the same thing. I just felt that they had... At most, they had an episode and a half worth of yeah. material, but you have to fill that extra half episode. Yeah, and and you do it with a runaround, time on a Doctor Who fashion. You uh, run up and down some corridors. So um, <laughs> I feel exactly the same way. That, that there was a brilliant idea. I really like the atmosphere. You can't go wrong with Base Under Siege, and you know it's it had a nice gothic feel about it. It was like yeah. being in the haunted house. You know, you're you're up in a kind of um, haunted house up on the moors or something. Right. So I liked the way it played with that and played with doppelgangers. That's very gothic as well. So I liked the uncertainty. I thought, you're right, it didn't have enough plot. And I had a really big problem with the end where they, uh, the doctor kill, <laughs> kills off the kind of flesh, Amy, because they've spent two episodes going... They're people like us, you know, it's, uh, we've got to respect them. It's it was, more complicated. Yeah. And then he kind of goes, no, it's not the real one and, and kills her. And <laughs> it's, got, it's a bit harsh. That's a bit, and it, and it really undercut the two, the two episodes. And I don't know if it was a question of um, a line being cut or a bit of nuance uh, was lost, but it, it was a real sort of, whoa, what happened there? And, and I, I didn't like that as a resolution. I'm sure I missed a line or I, I didn't understand the nuance, but it was a really odd, after two episodes of saying, no, we must respect them, for the doctor of all people to kind of casually undercut it was, was quite problematic for me. So I didn't love them uh, and I didn't hate them, um, but I think they could have been 
amazing. It could have been like a really good, like scary episode, like you were saying. And I, it's the only thing that I've ever really had that big of a problem with in the yeah. entirety of the last three um, seasons oh, of wow. Doctor Who. So, so you've loved everything else. Well, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's like, it's yeah. the only thing that I really just, I hate it so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> There were some scenes that were effectively creepy. I liked the scene where there were the two doctors. If he's like the doctor and a good person, then that's fine. He's a good person. So it's it's playing with that really well. And you're you're kind of going, well, does it does it matter if he's the real one or not? And and then it kind of undercuts that at the end, and which is a shame. Oh, that's really interesting. It's the only one that you've not enjoyed. Where are you have you seen everything except the Christmas special now? Of the new yeah. versions. Yeah. Yes. I don't know how interested you are in this, but I really want to start watching some of the older ones. When I was growing up, I knew of Doctor Who, but Doctor Who was never carried on any stations when I was a kid. Because I was out in the country, we only had three or four stations. But now, through the miracle of Netflix... Hey. Yeah, it would be easy to go back. They have a lot. They have, well, yeah. they don't have, like... They don't have this, everything, yeah, but... Yeah, they just have a few, like, of the, like, movies But they, But they do have more and more. They've even just recently added more old stuff. And yeah. so I'd kind of like to go there and, and just go back to the earliest they have and start watching. Well, my thing, though, is more, like, if I'm going to watch the old ones, I'd rather start with, like, the first episode because I don't want to jump into a doctor that I don't really know. Yeah, we did, um, Matthew and I, my other half and I, we did a, a rewatch from the beginning and we would watch an episode every morning. And I think you really, I think if you're going to watch it, you, you need to watch it. Don't watch stories altogether because the pace of 60s television is, is really quite slow. And if you sit down and some of the stories are quite long, they're kind of six episodes. Uh, one of them is 12 episodes. And if you sit and watch the whole story, it, that's not how you were meant to watch it, and, 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 and it interferes with your pleasure. But if you watch an episode a day or an episode every other day, you kind of you, you get into the pace and the rhythm of the storytelling. And um, it took us about three years to get through from start <laughs> to finish. And we were really hardcore. We kind of so you know, lots of episodes got destroyed. Yeah. Um, we, um, we listened to audio editions. And um, so, you know, we were sitting there eating our breakfast porridge, listening to... Uh, <laughs> an audio of episode whatever of Marco Polo. We were quite dedicated about this. Well, and, I like uh, how they've started. There's been a couple of those things where there was audio left and no video and they've made animated video. Oh, some of those are great. Yeah, bits of the invasion and um, Patrick Troughton's stories. They work really well, actually. So uh, you kind of go, it's a shame it's not all animated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I really think it would be great if they continue doing that for all the missing episodes as much as yeah. possible to recreating them i just think it's great that there's a show that has been on as long yeah. as doctor who yeah and it just deserves to get preserved as, as best as, as it can be it's like a window into british history you know you see it's a it's a window into british cultural history and social yeah. history see how women are treated differently you see uh different uh casting of ethnic minorities you see how television looked different you see how fashion changed because of course future fashion is always a kind of weird version <laughs> of, of now fashion so you go oh that's the future from the 1980s or uh, yes they've got they've got the uh terrible short skirts of the 1960s future that brings yeah. me back to uh, ufo because yeah <laughs> i just showed narice yeah i was um when i said before um i just watched the first episode last week and so there was a shot of oh, like a woman walking along a road but you could only see her from like the small of her back and down and she was wearing like a mini skirt my dad's just like yeah this was the era of the mini skirt so there's lots <laughs> yeah. of awkward shots yes yeah. and so i adore the show but yeah. it is it, there are these sort of cultural elements to it that are so amusing from a modern perspective you know yes. the mini skirts uh Everyone is smoking all the time. <laughs> like yeah, even on the submarine, I think even on <laughs> on Skydiver, they're smoking. Yeah. Uh, on the moon base, they're smoking. You know, it's women that command moon base, yeah. Yeah. and so there are these forward-thinking uh, elements to it. The thing we've uh, really missed from um, that they have in season one of Next Gen that they don't have in anything else is they still have the um, 
the scants. They still have men in skirts. And we really regret they gave up on that. It looks, <laughs> it looks hilarious. It just looks brilliant. And you're quite shocked by it. You go, oh, God, there's a man in a mini skirt. That's a, that's a kind of future I approve of. <laughs> <laughs> But and then you just don't see it again after season one. Clearly, yeah, they they, they let that much, yeah. fall by the wayside. It just occurred to me because we're just having this uh, full on geek fest here. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're bouncing around so much. I don't think when we were talking about Star Trek, uh, I don't think you ever actually got around to talking about your upcoming work. Oh right, okay, no, I didn't. Well, uh, I've just. Uh, just done a book um, called Brinkmanship, which was a Typhon Pact book. And um, for listeners, um, the Typhon Pact is a setup where um, the idea is a kind of Cold War setup that you've got the Federation and a bunch of powers um, on one side, and uh, then you've got like a, a Warsaw Pact on the other, which is around the, the Romulans and the Zenkethi. Uh, and so my book, I, I, when I was invited to pitch, I thought, okay, well, uh, this is a Cold War story. What's the most Cold War thing I can think of? Cuban Missile Crisis. So um, I pitched Cuban Missile Crisis in space um, because my thing is always to just, you know, take a sentence and go in space at the end. And see <laughs> that, that works. And generally it works. So, you know, Pride and Prejudice in space. It, it'd be brilliant. It would be brilliant. So I kind of pitched that and it's a nice high concept pitch and um, and they bought it. Uh, and um uh, I, I did that one that came out just at the start of the year. And then on the back of that, uh, we're doing quite an exciting project that involves five um, different books. It's a, it's a series of five books written by five different authors. Uh, and uh, that's called uh, The Fall is the um, uh, title for the whole series. Uh, and I'm writing the um, the second book in this, and the the idea is that there's a a big event that happens, and then uh, which happens in book one, and then the ramifications of this are, are played out in the in the next four yes. books. Um, and the idea is that you can you can kind of read them as standalones, but if you read the series, it, you know you get more and you get the overarching the arching story. And um, because uh, I was in luck, in great luck. I managed to get a book about Garrick and Picard set on Cardassia. So that was like, it's like somebody hands you the, the lottery ticket, isn't it? They say, <laughs> what would you like to spend uh, a lot, you know, six weeks of your life doing? And you go, well, I'd like to write a book about Garrick and Picard and Cardassia, please. Oh, yeah, OK, here you go and, and have some money for it. That so, sounds um, great. It, it was a hoot. I wrote, I uh, was writing it throughout. Um, I teach at a university now. I teach writing. So I was writing it through last semester. And then um, my Christmas holiday was kind of finishing up the book. So I had a great old time. Imagine, you know, that what yeah. a person together. Um, and that will be the second book in the series. So great. I'll be kind of picking up the ball from um, David R. George. Uh, who's mm -hmm. writing the first book, which is um, a much more DS9-oriented one. Yeah. And then the next three are by uh, familiar names, um, David Mack, Jim Swallow, and Dayton Ward. Yeah, many of our listeners probably understand this already, but I'll just put in and say the big event, we are not at liberty to say what the big event is. We are <laughs> not at liberty to say what the big event is. No, it's no, a... that said, uh, we shall not speak of that. No, you've got to read So, this. yeah, no. Una's yep. not just, you know holding out on you on her own. <laughs> I, I literally can't. They, 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 they yes. take out bits of your, uh, you know, they, they sort of do mind things to you so you can't access <laughs> it. When you sign the contract, it's really scary. So, if I tried to say it, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, but this will all be, uh, well, um, the, the title sort of started as a joke. It was the, it was the fall season of books. And I think, some of us British ones didn't realise that meant autumn. And we thought <laughs> the title for the series, and then it, we kind of picked up with that. So, uh, so they'll start in, I think, September uh, with Dave, David R. George's book, and then uh, the next, the four, following four months. So, uh, yeah, look out for them at the end of um, the end of this year. And that's been fun. It's been the five of us kind of bouncing emails off each other, and um, you know, trying to get uh, get the the, the plots work together and. I'm a bit in awe of how much they know about Star Trek. So uh, I, I've sort of kept within stuff I know quite well and, and woven a story around that. So I hope it'd be fun. I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, it's a, you know an interesting project. So uh, yeah, 
So that's the fall. That's at the end of the year. And then I've also done some um, audio plays for a uh, company called Big Finish. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've uh, – they do Doctor Who spin-off audios and yes. uh, audio plays. And uh, I've, I've got a couple of audios coming out from them this year. Uh, one in the, a series of those called Gallifrey, which is a spin-off that involves um, two companions, uh, Ramana and Leela. Uh, and it's their their adventures together on on Gallifrey, and then the other play I'm doing with them um, is uh, what's called an enhanced audio book. It's just two voices, uh, and that's a Blake Seven audio play. So it's like my uh, my first fandom, my real love, and it's very I'm very excited to have got to do that. Um, so uh, if you'd asked me the question of of which shows I would want to write for six months ago, then top of the list would have been Blake Seven, and and I've got to do that now. So that's very exciting. Now that you're teaching writing. Have you ever had one of your students that has already read one of your books when they take your class? Yes. And and how was that? Was it fabulous? Was it Absolutely. bizarre? It was just brilliant. It was completely and utterly brilliant. It was absolutely wonderful. And then I had another student who, who said, I don't read your books, um, but my sister does. Uh, and she met you at a signing and she said you were really nice to her. And you kind of go, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness I wasn't grumpy that day. That would have been awful, you know. So it really brings home, you you know, always be on your best behaviour when you're doing public appearances and things. Yeah, students have read them. That's really good fun. And um, I've got a couple of students who are, are fan fiction writers and they know I'm sympathetic and, and know yeah. that I, I, I understand why you might want to spend um, your whole weekend writing about Merlin rather than doing your your assignment. So I do understand. And uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's great when they read it. It's, uh, it's really nice. I did give one of my classes a little chunk from my book, uh, unattributed. I wanted them to um, practice copy editing symbols, learn how to, you know, mm-hmm. mark that up. And I gave them this excerpt and one of them said, uh, I don't know what this is, but it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's by me. <laughs> All that was fortified. So, um, yeah, it's good fun. They're, they're always really nice. So, uh, And Doctor Who is kind of fashionable, and they're, they're the right age to um, watch it and really enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, always good vibes, yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I think they like, it's nice to know that your tutor actually writes and gets published. Yes. So it gives me a bit of credibility as well, I think. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Before we go, we need to mention we did watch the Doctor Who Christmas special right after our interview with Una, and both enjoyed it quite a lot. Tune in next month for the rest of our talk with Una. Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from a starship trapped in orbit around a black hole. Please give the other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. And please follow Generations Geek on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check out our website at generationsgeek.com. Thanks for listening, and come back again next time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny.